0: The following is provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you very much indeed. I don't know how you Americans do it, but you're so elaborate in introducing people. <laughs> and Aaron seemed to be doing it so well. Aaron, thank you. Thank you very much. Let me tell you what I have experienced so far since I came to Covenant College. I've never been in any institution in the United States the way I have been here. I've been to one or two, but the impression I've received here is worth talking to you about. Number one, this is a very beautiful campus. The location is is just one of the best I've seen. And so I would like to say you are such a blessed people. The second thing I've noticed here in this college is your African-type African hospitality, that your arms are open, your hearts are open, your smiles are big, you are so friendly. You made us both feel extremely welcomed, and we feel like we have been here for a month or even two months. And the third thing that really kind of shook the root of our faith this morning was when we had breakfast with some few of you in one of those rooms on the other side. We had a very good talking, eating time. And after we had finished all the talking and all the eating we wanted to do, these guys suggested to me and said... "Um, Archbishop you, you pray, you ministered, you opened your heart to us. You've done a lot. Can we pray for you? I said, "Of course, why not? And they let us sit down, praise the Lord, I think, putting their hands on us would be a lot of work, so <laughs> we sat down. And they really prayed for my chaplain and I. My heart was moved. I was so touched because of the maturity in prayer and the clarity and the sheer love and concern that they had for us. I do speak with a lot of pride, Mr. President, that you have one of the best schools in America, especially Christian Foundation School. This is one of the best. I sure will miss you. I know this is my last evening talk. Tomorrow I will do something in the morning, and we should be closing for the weekend and then Monday. Much as we love to pitch camp here like Peter and his friends wanted to do on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus said, let's go back to the valley. The mountaintop experience cannot be a daily experience, but it has been fantastic. I am so thankful, and I really, really thank you. I thank the president. I thank the faculty. I thank the leadership of this place. I thank the trustees. And I thank you, the students, because I think you have made this college something to be in my map, in my memory for many years to come. I was actually saying if I had a young fellow in my family, I would have talked to the president to send him or her here. But unfortunately, our youngest is 29, and I don't think he wants to come. Tonight I want to address the whole question that I've been addressing, and I don't see how I can exhaust it because it is too big. Who do you say I am, and who does Jesus say he is? In the morning I dealt with, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats me will not hunger. Whoever drinks of me will never thirst. Tonight I want to look at him from another angle, Tonight, I want him to say to us, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, I would like us to look there quickly, and there are some powerful revelation in this scripture that I want to bring to you tonight. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will have the light of life. Again, Jesus is not saying, I have the light. He says, I am the light. Just like the big created light of the sun, around which the whole solar system revolves. Jesus Christ is the center of of the creation And that creation came through him, the word. I'll not go into the theology. But I'm the light of the world. Again, I'm not going to do exegesis of the chapter. But I want to use this verse to throw light on the 11 preceding verses on the top. So if you will turn with me to verse 1, chapter 8, there is this story. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, "Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you?" She said, "No one, Lord." And Jesus said, "Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more." In the arrangement of this chapter, the older manuscripts I'm told does not include verses 1 to verses 11. But if you look at verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them. means there is a continuation. And I don't want to mend it for the sake of mending it, but I want it to be the kind of connection in looking at Jesus as the light of the world. And I just want to start by saying the rabbi, the teacher, was sitting and teaching as usual. And he had the 12 initial theological students with him. And I believe there were many other people, and in the time they used to sit down, and people would come and sit around them, and he would just teach them. And, and Jesus said a mobile seminary. He would move up and down from Galilee through Samaria to Judea, and Judea, Samaria, Galilee. He was a mobile teacher, rabbi of the Jewish people with 12 disciples. So he sat there and he was teaching. Now, secondly, he was teaching in a holy place. It was the temple courts. He had come from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. There is a valley as you come from Mount of Olives through the valley up to Jerusalem. I have the joy and the privilege to take my Christians beginning 2005 every year to Jerusalem. I'm taking three teams this year, and I'm taking another team next year just to give them the sense of the Holy Land to allow the Scriptures to be alive. So he was in the holy place, in the temple, and the scribes and the Pharisees brought in a woman in the presence of Jesus. And all these people seated there listening to him. Let's take a quick look at this woman. This woman, she was caught in the act of adultery, according to John, was brought, dragged by these great guys of, 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 of religion, leaders of religion, being brought in the presence of a rabbi, renowned rabbi, a popular man, and in the temple courts of all places. She was embarrassed. She was ashamed. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. She was fearing for her life. Here is her held by religious leaders, accused of a sin which is so fatly treated in Israel. And here she was without anybody to help her. She was here, no witness. She's alone. She's afraid. She's fearing for her life because she knew what punishment it would be. This woman was not just only embarrassed and ashamed and fearful, this woman too had a sense of guilt in her life because she was caught. She was caught red-handed. This woman was defenseless. Every other person around her who brought her was accusing her, accusing her to a man who was a prophet and a holy man and a rabbi. This woman was like this was the end of her life and the bottom of her world had fallen through. This woman, I want to ask her a question. Why were you there? Supposing her husband saw her. If the husband were to ask her, but my wife, why were you there? Supposing she had children. And if the children were to ask her, mommy, why were you there? You could see the tense atmosphere she found herself, but at the same time, she could also feel like, this is the end for me. Helpless, defenseless, Embarrassed, ashamed, full of guilt, and here she was in front of Jesus and the people. Take a look at the religious leaders. The religious leaders justifying everything that they saw and very boldly coming to accuse this woman, a woman who herself was hopeless and helpless. They would come to Jesus Christ. And they would want to accuse, and accuse because of the law that they believe, they know, and they know how to interpret. And do you realize that these men are blind? What are they saying? They say, according to the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. But what does the law say in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10? If you can turn to that, we could read it. If you don't want to turn to it because you don't have a Bible, I'll read it for you. Leviticus 20 verse 10, this is what the law says. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Both. One man, one woman cannot commit adultery. It takes two people to commit adultery. You know, in my country, we have got prostitution, and it is very obvious you'll find the women around on the streets waiting for customers to come, and sometimes our police are very unreasonable. They round up all these women and take and lock them up for disturbing the peace of the city, and I do feel this is so unfair. These women are there because they are men. Without these men, these women would not be there. For every prostitute standing by the street, there may be three, four men hiding in their good, nice-looking homes. If you are going to arrest, arrest the women and find out where the men are, because if the men were not there, this woman would not be there. The Bible says, no, the law says that get the two, the adulterer and the adulteress. And for them, in their blindness, they're saying the law commanded that we should stone such women. And here would be need for the light to shine in their eyes, for the light to shine in their presence. They wanted Jesus to make a comment. They wanted Jesus, too, to say something. But, of course, John says they wanted to trap Jesus at this point. I find that it is very easy for the world of men in my culture to be very defensive. When I talk and I preach in weddings, I try to help men to learn to say sorry to their wives because we expect women to say sorry to us. It looks like men don't have problems at all. Every other thing, it is the women. But I think your Western culture is a little better because the women here also have rights to stand up and to speak. The Jewish culture, it was almost like African culture. The woman is like a doormat. The woman is treated like a second-class citizen. The woman doesn't have rights and authority. It looks like the man is the guy who is very important. And so here it is, misunderstanding the law, in their blindness, accusing this woman, and yet the man was not there. They wanted to trap Jesus. But friends, I want us to look at Jesus' response. Jesus was writing down, John never tells us what he was writing down. He was writing down. But supposing he was quoting Leviticus 20 verse 10. The law says we should stone such a woman. Supposing he was saying, but the law also says it is a man and a woman to be stoned together. Supposing he was saying, if this is a woman who was caught in adultery, where is the man? Where is the man? Where is the man? Jesus was done writing. They were accusing. The woman was frightened. Here was a situation of helplessness for the woman, who didn't know what to do at that point. And when he got up to speak, these are his words: "Say, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her." Beloved, don't you think it is very easy sometimes to look at the speck in somebody else's eyes, as Jesus said and not recognize the log in your own eye. Isn't it easy many times naturally to criticize somebody else and forget that you too have a problem? Isn't it easier to see somebody else's downfall and perhaps weaknesses and maybe finding it hard yourself to discover what is in your heart? That is what is happening here. Let him who is not without sin cast the first stone. And the result was electrifying. From the older one to the least they all quietly tiptoed and went away. The woman was left alone with Jesus, the light of the world. In the presence of Jesus, this woman saw herself for who she is. She is in the presence of Him who did not condemn her. She's in the presence of Him who stood almost like a defender. She's in the presence of Him who made other accusers go quietly, one by one, she heard his voice, woman, where are your accusers? Has nobody accused you? Nobody condemned you? She said, nobody. Listen to what he says to this woman, neither do I condemn you. Go, but don't sin again. Neither do I condemn you. The light of Jesus Christ shines in the darkness of human heart, then when you begin to see yourself, you understand who you are. I want you to remember when Isaiah had this great vision in Isaiah chapter 6. The glory of the Lord came around and he saw the Lord seated high and exalted on a throne and in the temple. The temple was filled with the train of his garment. And he had the great angels calling, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. He heard the choir, he saw the glory, and as he watched, it was like a great mirror looking at himself, and he said, woe to me, for I am ruined. I am a sinner, and I dwell among men of unclean lips. It looks like when you approach God and you see him, it looks like when you're in the presence of Jesus Christ, you then begin to know you for who you are, because the light of God reveals who we are. Jesus with this woman, gave her what she did not expect. He will not condemn. Why? Because he did not come to condemn, but he came that we be saved through his, 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 his coming. He is not here to judge the world. He's not here to condemn. He is here to save his people. I am so broken in my heart as a church leader not only in my country, but as I travel the world. Because what is increasingly becoming very clear is that the light of Jesus is shining in the church of Christ today, regardless of denominations. And what he is revealing is a war, and this war is a moral war which is going on in the church. Let's not talk about people out there. There is such an immoral attack on the church. And as the light of the Lord shines through what I'm seeing now, back in my country and wherever I go, great men and great women of stature spiritually are falling. And The biggest downfall I have noted is sexual sin. I had a very fine ordained man, very articulate, full of passion for Jesus Christ. I loved this man. I was grooming him to be my successor, a bishop. I sent him to Malaysia to study. After only one year, things began to surface within my own office. Unknown to me, this man had taken my own private secretary to bed several times. I did not know. A man of God. Until the woman thought she was pregnant. And she tried to commit suicide. The first time she got a lot of drugs, she swallowed, she didn't die. Second time she did the same, she could not die. The third time, she then wanted to burn herself. The reason she wanted to die was because she could not let down a man of God in sexual misconduct. So she got all her clothing, locked herself in the house, and this is a thatched house. Set fire to her clothing. And the smoke came through the ventilations and her mother saw from a distance and came and made an alarm. People broke the door. She was unconscious in the house. When they got her, she said there is no reason to leave because I have let the man of God down. A man for whom I cried. The reason I'm crying is because it's very rare to get good people and great leaders and passionate people And why should Satan attack leadership that are so clear and have cutting edge in ministry? Why should they be let down? We called him back from Malaysia. And we put him under discipline. He denied totally. Barely four months, he took one of my ordained priests, a woman, and raped her. And we didn't even know Until one day, God revealed to me that he had a problem. The confession he made, he made in not even in duress, because there was no reason. He denied everything, but God revealed it. And I just just was so upset with the thing which was going on. It was like the enemy was cutting us at the root as a church. Because you strike a leader, where will the flock go? That is something happening. I also notice as I move in the world, in our churches, that even men and women are captives to sexual sin. Men and women in our churches are captive to sexual sin. There is so much of broken hearts. There's so much of broken relationship. There's so much of pain going on because the enemy seems to have visited our churches now, and the enemy seems to have captured many, many men and women. I find the same thing with young people suffering, and there has been so many untold pain that I have, I have come across. Just before I came here, a young man and a young woman came to me these are people I, all, I honored a lot because they have worked with Jesus for a long time. And he came to me, he said, your grace, I have failed. I even do not know whether I should continue to do the work I'm doing because I work for a Christian organization and part of what we stand for is integrity. And I want to go and tell my bosses that I have failed and I am ready to meet the consequences. I told him, go and tell them and be honest and own it. Tell them you are sorry and ask them to help you. When he went to his boss, a great man of God, wise, he quoted the very text. He said, if Jesus told this woman, I even don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. We will seek for the healing of your life. Young men, unmarried, having real burden to carry. I also notice, friends, that as I minister to people, I come across young people, young women particularly, who have gone through abortion, who are even grieving because of the loss of the child that they have aborted who are so traumatized by experiences because they fell into sexual sin and here they are reaping what they did not expect and I sit with them, I pray with them, I pray for deliverance for them, pray for healing of their minds and pray for restoration of their bodies. Why? Why has the enemy attacked us today? What is happening? You would have thought that when Jesus confronted this woman... Jesus could have been rebuking her like the Pharisees and the scribes did. No, Jesus took her with great care because there was still value in this woman. And even if today many, many of our people are in suffering because of sexual sin, which I believe is a real attack on the church, Jesus still values us, and Jesus still gives us another chance. And Jesus will still say the same to what he said to this woman. May I just finish my my message tonight by helping us to understand that the attack on us sexually is because I believe the devil is looking at the way God wants to raise the church and God setting the church apart to be an instrument of transformation in our community. A community where people's morals have dropped so low. God wants to raise the church to be an example. And friends, since we are in the world, we are part of the system as well. And so we shall walk and go against the current of opposition. And that's why some of us have difficulties. But the scripture is going to help us tonight. I want to give you a few help, which I also know helps me. Uh, A few weeks ago, my wife confronted me. You have already heard, I I, I move with a lot of young people, boys and girls, they move with me. Some of my Christians are so suspicious with the archbishop. Why does it take girls? And sometimes I go with these girls without my wife, and yet my chaplain is there. So my, my wife confronted me and said, we are listening and we are hearing some stories that some of these girls you go with do not behave well to you as the archbishop. I said, my wife, we have been married for 35 years. I am not immune to sexual sin, but I will not. I will not abuse our relationship with you. I know I can fail because great men can fail as well. Will you pray for me? I don't know there are difficulties. Even among us leaders, bishops, archbishops, clergy, we have problems let alone young people. But I believe what the Scripture teaches me, young people, I give you a message from 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22. Paul is helping this young man. It has always been there, friends. We are human as much as those great people before us. This is what he says, flee youthful passions, And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Run, run, run from the passions of youthfulness. I tell my young people back home, you are young and you are handsome and beautiful. But within you is locked a power that only Jesus can control. If you don't give that power to Jesus Christ, the passion of a young person rages like dry season fire, or the fires I'm hearing in the south of California now I know, and in, in Australia. When it starts, it starts. It kills. It destroys. The passion in a young person is very strong. Paul says, run away. Yeah, run away from that. And don't you remember Joseph? Joseph was one man who could sprint very fast, young man. He knew the problem could be any time because he's not an angel, and all he could do was to run, run. Was he a coward? Oh, yes, he was, and yet he was not. Because he knew that he could easily be overtaken. So he says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And I believe for every young person here on whom God has placed your hand, beloved, Flee things which will defile you before God, because God wants to use us. And the Lord will protect you, because the Lord will never allow any temptation to come to you, which is not common. And he says, even with the temptation, there will be a way of escape. So therefore, you use it. I love when I go to your buildings, there is an exit. And I thank you for lighting it, so that you can know how to get out of a place when you are in trouble. David wrote in Psalms 119 and verse 10, he wrote words which I think is very healthy to us, those of us who are still young and sexually vigorous. I I, I don't deny the fact that sexual gift is from the Lord, and therefore praise the Lord for it. Verse 10, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? Is it possible? Is it possible for a young man, a young woman to resist sexual temptation and sexual sin? How can he? He answers it, he said, by guarding it according to your word. In verse 10, verse 11, he said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you the word of God in the mind of a young person, the mind of a leader, the mind of any person, the word of God will guard you against sin to sexual temptation. I believe very strongly that as God gives us a privilege to be together, to minister to people, God allows us to have boundaries set. Those boundaries are helpful, my dear friends. And sometimes, I get to think that in the generation of young people, sometimes they go too close without knowing that the cliff is not very far. Before they know it, they're off the cliff, guarded by the Word of God. David himself, you remember, failed too. He failed. He failed in a dual sin of murder and adultery. But out of the failure... The restoration came. And the psalm he wrote, 51, when you read that psalm, it is a psalm of a repentant man who knew the grace of God that can give a second chance to us. The second, third reference I want to give you is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to read verse 18 for you. I'm not reading it only for young people. I'm reading it for all of us. I believe that is a great help for us as people who are seeking to walk the ways of God and to please the Lord. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Flee from sexual immorality. The Western culture of freedom, I think, has its own negative reaction on the church. Freedom to be, freedom to do what you like to do, pushes us to the brink of destruction every time. But we want to thank God for men and women of God who have discipline in their lives and they can guide us. I believe when Paul writes these letters, Paul was not a married man according to what I believe and I know. But Paul, by revelation, understood that the sexual sin has got power. The sexual urge can be very powerful. So he tells the Corinthians... And the Corinthian church, this church in Corinth had a lot of problems, by the way. These guys had difficulties. If you think our difficulties is big, theirs are bigger. He said, flee, flee from sexual immorality. And he continues to say that, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? God has chosen to dwell in us. God has chosen us to be that temple that he himself has built he tells us very clearly that we are not our own. Your body is not your own. As a believer, your body is not your own. You are bought with a price, not silver, not gold, but the very lifeblood of the Son of God. He paid a price for me, he paid a price for you. That if you value the, the gift of God, if you value the knowledge of God of you, if you value the relationship that God has with you, then you do know that God paid a heavy price for you, paid a heavy price for me. My body is not my own. I cannot just do what I like with my body. No, my body belongs to God. My body should be given on the sacrifice altar for the Lord. I I can't see your altar here. Where is it? In my church, there would be one behind. I want to present my body as a living sacrifice on the altar of my obedience to God so that God can take my hands and use it, take my eyes and use it, take my intellect and use it, take my sexual organ and use it at the right time, take my feet and use it because they belong to the Lord. I have given it back to him. I have been bought with a price. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. I want to plead with the church seated before me that God seeks to dwell among his people. And I was so encouraged to notice as soon as I came here, even if it was morning of of Wednesday at two o'clock almost, that the presence of the Lord is here. To me, that is because God's people honor him, have called his presence to come among them. How I long to pray that that becomes bigger and stronger and more tangible in this place. As the Lord dwells among his people, as you are being prepared, young people, particularly students, to go out and to to bring transformation into the world, may you sacrifice yourself to God. May you allow God to take control of your body that nothing may injure you. Let me finish. The light of Christ that we have, especially that now is among us, he is the one who can help us to value the next person. Young men value the women. Young women value the men. The person there with whom you relate is made in the image of God, is a person that God sent his son to die for. Very precious before God. Value them. Value them. I tell my young people back home, young men, when you look at a very beautiful girl, just give God the glory. Thank you, Lord. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou, you made such a beautiful girl, I thank you Lord, I look at her head, I look at her face, I look at her neck, she is a beauty. Thank you. Then I tell young people stop there. (laughs) Because you have made them to the glory of your name. Value each other. Value them. When you see the light of God, the second thing you do is you will honor the opposite sex. You will honor them. Because give honor to whoever, whoever honor is due. And the people God has put with you, wherever you are, are God's people who are there for a reason. Just like iron sharpens iron, they come to sharpen you. Honor them. Make them look so important to you that you will treasure to lift them up at all times. And our relationship will blossom in God. But even better so, glorify God in your body. The body was given us by the Lord. The body has been chosen by God as his dwelling place. Glorify God with your body. Let us pray. Today, some of our struggles are struggles in sexual sin. And our church is under severe attack. The enemy knows that when he can undermine the integrity of a people, he will start with relationship. And today, many of us face a lot of conflict in relationship. Today, many of us are battling with impurity in relationship. Today, we have struggles in our families The many times that a man cannot love his wife the way he chose to love her at the first day, love evaporates and a chill enters relationship. Today, many of us struggle to live in peace with one another. But Jesus met this situation at the temple courts Where the religious leaders are dragging this woman who is helpless and and condemning her and judging her and passing sentence on her and wanting to kill her. But Jesus knew that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus could not condemn her, Jesus knew this woman was valuable. Jesus knew this woman could turn her back to sin once she sees the light. And whereas sin can put us in darkness, when Jesus appears, he dispels the darkness. Tonight, I sense in my spirit that there are people here who are struggling sexually. I ask the Lord that his light will shine in your life that you'll be able to meet the Lord and be face-to-face with him like that woman, that you'll be able to listen to him say to you, I don't condemn you. You may be carrying a burden of guilt and embarrassment and problem of pain and trauma. I can stand, extend my healing to you, my love to you, my forgiveness to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who transforms us and gives us the ability to conquer sexual temptation, give us the ability to be disciplined in our lives. For there is need for men who are like Joseph, who would live right before God and who would bring glory to Israel and who would be a channel of blessing to his people, how I pray that even tonight many of us will purpose in our hearts in Covenant College that I want to live right before God, that I want to please God with my body, that I want God to use me to bring transformation not only to my college but to my country and to my church, that I want to be a partner with God, that I want to be guarded by the Word of God that I may live pure before God, and not sin against the Lord by giving my body to sexual sin. I do also want to pray that the Lord's hand may be upon you. If you're such a person has a person who is ailing inside because things have not been right, then like this woman, the Lord will speak peace into your spirit tonight and enable you to go away knowing that you have been forgiven and cleansed and thoroughly renewed and transformed. I pray tonight that the Spirit of the Lord will begin to open our eyes to understand the strategies of the devil that is attacking the church today in many different ways, one of which is now a big burden upon the global church, that many, many of us cannot stand and speak with authority about the purity that we need to have As an example to the world that is seeking for true integrity, that many of us who have fallen short of God's glory can yet find courage to say to Lord, to the Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me, that I may be an example like David. May the Spirit of the Lord let the light of Jesus Christ shine in your life that your heart may be opened enough to the light and the healing of that light permeating your life, revealing things which are not pleasing the Lord, that you may be able to confess it to him and say, Lord, forgive me and give me another chance to walk with you. Thank you, Father, for being good to us and loving to us, caring to us. The Lord bless you. The Lord protect you. The Lord strengthen you. The Lord let his head rest upon you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. you. Thank you, my brother.
0: have a time where people can ask the Archbishop questions, Uh, but let me say, uh, if anything the Archbishop said tonight, uh, this is especially targeted to Covenant College students, really uh, struck you, if you feel like you were convicted, if you feel like you'd like to talk to somebody about that, Uh, there will be people here, after we're all done, who would be glad to pray with you, Uh, as college chaplain, know that my door is always open. If you want to come in and talk about things that you're struggling with, talk about uh, battles with sexual temptation, sexual sin, know that my door is open at all times uh, to be able for you to come in and talk to me about that th- those things and to be able to know that uh, the grace of God is real and it is for you and there will be people here on this campus who would love to pray with you and to share that grace and mercy with you. Uh, But what we're going to do now is we are going to have a time to uh, ask the Archbishop some questions. I think I saw a a portable microphone floating around. Is that Yes, okay. We have two portable microphones. So, uh, Archbishop, if you want to come up and and stand up here. So if you would like to raise your hand, uh, I know some of the students might need to go, but if you would like to raise your hand, uh, we will run you a microphone. uh, And you can... um, Feel free to go ahead and
2: You know, that's why I love this man.
1: Your hey Grace. Um, I wondered what you see um, as you travel through American churches that we don't understand well enough Anglican Church, just in general. The, or the, African the African Church. The African Anglican Church. I suppose the communion where you live.
2: Personally, I am so grateful that Dr. Cromerden has been such a channel between this college and Uganda. The African church is not a very old church mine was founded in 1877 we are just about 130 years we are a young vigorous church that will will not do church we want to believe the Bible and we want to practice the Bible now what is very interesting with the African church is that it is very evangelistic minded. We want to reach out. We want to reach to sinners, bring them to God. What is still lacking in the the African-Anglican church on the whole is the ability to teach our people and root them. And uh, I love to think that there is an area where the American church, people know the scriptures, can come and help us in teaching. Uh, I can preach and I can bring lots of people to a commitment to Jesus. That is phase one. The phase two of rooting believers is an area that I need a lot of help with. Alternatively, the church in Africa, I want to say that is needed in America also, to fire the church here because the church here seem to maintain rather than break new frontiers. Um, I would love to see the fire that is in Africa falling also in America and in Europe. I went to do a ministry in England last year in July. There was a conference where 5,000 young people came around and I went to preach there. When I gave my message to these young people, those young people were so fired. They say, now we are going to go out and we must reach out to people. Now, but I think also that with that fire for young people, it's very easy for older people to dampen their enthusiasm. It's very easy. And so I do believe there is a way that the church out here and the church in Africa can work together. There is what we have that you need. There is what you have. The church in Africa has got a lot of conflicts as it goes through, political conflict. Sometimes you have the huge problem of famine and floods and things like that. What is so amazing is a way, like in my country right now, 20 years we had a conflict in the north part of our, our country. The church literally stuck up with the people. I lost five clergy. Five pastors in that conflict because they were moving from one camp to another to reach out to the people again there is a ministry the church of africa want to give to a people who are suffering now that is a very tough ministry but there is that kinship in the church in africa that they love to be with each other am i answering anything you think so thank you
1: Your Grace, in your opinion, what would you say is the biggest deterrence to the spreading of the gospel, particularly in Africa?
2: In Africa? I think in Africa spreading the gospel is not a big problem because we are open. Um, would, would it help if some people come from here to spread the gospel in Africa? Yes. As long as you come And you go as partners with those Africans and you go spread the gospel. But the deterrent which I think in Africa, when you think of Africa you're thinking of many nations. At the moment it's hard to go to Sudan because of military conflicts and security. Congo the same. The second problem that you have in Africa in spreading the gospel is language. We may do very well in English-speaking countries of Africa. We may have problems going to the French-speaking language of the countries in Africa. Another problem we have in Africa are the multitudes of languages that we have. Do you know this guy here and I don't understand one another? I don't know his language. He doesn't know my language. So we speak in English. So if I go to his place like I have been to his place, I have to be interpreted. If he comes to visit me in my home in my home village, he has to be in inter- town. Now there's a, a very big barrier. Communication is a very big barrier. And then maybe the last one is easy move in terms of travels. You know, it's easy for me to get into a plane in Uganda and fly to America, and it's more difficult for me to get in a plane in Uganda and fly to Cameroon. That's the same continent. So that's a big, big problem too. The easiest way for me to go to western part of Africa is probably rerouted through London and back to Africa. Now, that makes it really complicated. It can't be that easy. Whereas for you, you can get from east coast to west coast as easy. You can get from Alabama to where up to Seattle very easily. Maybe within a day you can make that. In Africa, it's very, very tough. Now, those are some of the difficulties to spread the gospel in Africa. that 's okay, I can hear
1: traveling with a chaplain, and you mentioned
2: was oh, it on now? Mm. you mentioned
3: the other day um, the impact of having a prayer mount in a nebbi diocese, how that caused growth there. You just mentioned tonight the difficulties when you 're traveling, even great men fall, and it 's important to pray for them i 'm wondering how an archbishop and other busy people find enough time to pray, and what does your chaplain do uh, for you, that other men who travel and they don't have a chaplain, what what does he do for you?
2: Chaplain, will you like to tell them what you do? (laughs)
3: Um, That's a good question. Chaplain is really a fancy title for a personal assistant, and uh, my job description is simple. I am the Archbishop's bodyguard. No, that's, that's, that's a joke, but uh, <laughs> 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 I don't have pistols and things like that. and uh, Uh, A chaplain is um, I manage the Archbishop's Diary. I manage the Archbishop's Diary. You know, I did some little bit of uh, literature and we engaged in drama. On a stage like this, there's there's somebody behind the curtain and he's called a prompter. Uh, When you get stuck on stage here, there's somebody behind the curtains who will whisper something. Uh, he's called a prompter. I am also his prompter. Uh, he's, he's a very busy man. Um, we, in, in the setting here, we don't seem to understand, I don't mean you, I mean America generally. They, how, how busy, uh, I don't want to use the word important, how busy Uh, an Archbishop can be. So he needs somebody who will remind him of A, B, C, D. I'm carrying two mobile phones now uh, on his behalf. I do a lot of communication. I I was on the internet uh, a while ago. That kind of thing. But above all I do pray for him. Uh, One of my main uh, areas of ministry is that passion for prayer. before I was asked to be his chaplain, by he himself, I was heading the, the ministry of prayer, the, the healing ministry, healing prayer, and that kind of thing. So it's my main passion. I uphold him. I don't have to kneel down and close my eyes before him and pray, but somewhere behind there in the background, even when I'm seated there, I support him in prayer. Um, but I have my own prayer life. I pray for myself, I pray. But when I'm traveling like this, basically, I'm praying for him.
2: Hmm. When we left our country, they 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 seated us differently. They wanted me to sit in a cabin over there and the chaplain on the other side. And I told the lady who was checking us in, I said, no, I sit with my chaplain. Because I think this is like personal assistant, so he's one step below the archbishop. I don't believe that. He is my treble mate, and he is my prayer partner. He is a very fine man who listens carefully and interprets things very quickly, and so he's a very good, helpful person. Besides that, too, because he's a younger man, I also mentor him, and I would not take an older person to be my chaplain because it would not perhaps be sufficient to deposit. Chaplain, you're 41, are you? All right, he's 41, I'm 58. Um, I have an opportunity to put in him quite a lot of things. I'm soon going to recommend that he also goes into seminary and gets a caller like me. Um, I now see very little resistance, so I think he's beginning to, (laughs) yeah. The Prayer Mountain that I talked about is an incredible ministry that we started in 1994. In 1996, we established it. In 1995, my wife and I went to Korea to get a Presbyterian pastor. The Korean church is very, very deep into prayer ministry. 1995, he came, and he is still with us manning the prayer mountain a place where we go every now and again I go back to the prayer mountain just like Moses used to go to the Mount of Horeb Elijah did the same I go back there to spend time with God I'm a busy man yes but I cannot be busier than God I need to have time with the Lord I need to take my cue from God I need to hear from the Lord Otherwise, my resources can run dry very, very easily. People like us, it's very easy to perform and it's very easy to impress. But it's very tough to bless people. Until you are blessed, you cannot bless people. So I use the prayer mountain a lot. And if I cannot go to a prayer mountain, now in the city of Kampala, a family has built for me a retreat house that my wife and I go to. So every Monday, we go to that retreat house from morning to five o'clock to spend time with God because it is necessary. We just cannot function if we do not, if you do not tap resources from the Lord. That will be it. Yes. Yes, sir. Oh, it is? Uh-
1: your Grace, uh, what, what would, in your opinion, be the biggest problem with the church here in America? And uh, what can young people like ourselves do to help this, these problems?
2: When I go up and down this country, I find the church is asleep. The church is not watching. Let me give you one example. Does the church know that Islam is penetrating this country at a very deep level? Do they have strategy of how to prepare the church to face Islam? Does the church know that when the Bible became like an ordinary document, we lost ground in spiritual authority. Is a church willing to stand up against that loss, which I believe is very, very big? An average church member I have found in America, in our mainline churches, are committed to a church and not to the Lord of the church. I'm asking young people to be passionate with evangelism, and you can do it. I'm asking you to get out of the mode and be adventurous spiritually and bring a new life into the church and I believe young people you can travel the world and get to know what God is doing elsewhere and come back and bring new thing into the church I also think that in 1995 I came to Kanoga uh, because we were reviewing in the Anglican Church the midpoint review for the decade of evangelism, when we sat down to listen, the church in the Western Hemisphere was concerned about maintenance rather than mission. And I think there is a need to allow God to shake us. You know, sometimes people are saying, can God bring some persecution to help us wake up? It's not necessary, People should just fall in love with the Lord God and His Son Jesus Christ and fall in love with His Word and have the confidence to stand up and declare that Word. I also find the church in the West a little shy. It's very difficult to pick a conversation with the one sitting next to you in the plane and share Jesus. I think it has become a private issue, the church here. But I think we can get out of that because a new love with Jesus Christ will not keep us quiet. Once you fall in love with him, when you fall in love with somebody, let me just put it that way, you want to introduce them to everybody that you know, don't you? Same thing with Jesus Christ. When you have a new love for him and a passionate love for him, you can't help but talk about him. So I believe young people can do that. And I trust that young people will do that. Part of what you're doing in coming outside this country to other parts of the world I believe is a stimulant for you to get up and go. That would be my, that would be my personal reflection on that question. Yes, ma'am.
1: The first, yeah. <laughs> the first actually follows what you were just saying. Um, there's a new book that's been published called A Menace in Europe. And um, the lady makes the point in this book that um, Europe's abandonment of Christianity is what has led to Islamic fundamentalism, and um, basically because when those, you know, when people are deciding whether to go with the culture in Europe, they find it so hollow that the other choice is far better because it, it, it's spiritual, um, and religious. Um, so that's my first question: if you could speak to that, and maybe what we can do to maybe counteract that, um, and then. My other question actually is from the point of view of public health. I uh, I studied international health, and um, I'm curious as to what you've been doing to help um, those in your community who've been infected with HIV and maybe the orphans. Um, And if there's anything we can do as the Christian community to maybe empower these people and help them in any
2: way. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank Thank you. you. Number one... uh, Can I address this from the perspective of young people? What I've noticed with young people is that they'll go to a church if God turns up in that church. They want to see the reality of God in the church. If the church is about the same old thing that the Father went through, they don't want anything to do with that church. The emptiness which we see today in Europe, in America, is not only turning people to fundamentalism in Islam, but is also sending people to Eastern religions. People are looking for meaning in life. And I think that hunger for God is a cue for us as church. We could literally wake up. In many of my churches, I've, I talked to my, some of the leaders yesterday. I said in my church, some of my pastors who do not know how to feed the flock are losing young people to Pentecostal churches. They're going away. And so when I come to them and they say, Your Grace, our young people are going away. The, the Pentecostals are stealing our young people. I say, that's not true. Praise the Lord for Pentecostals. You can only know a restaurant by the queue of people going in there. And if you find queues of people, you better stop and join that queue. That restaurant could be very good. If we feed our young people, they'll never go anywhere if their hunger for God is satisfied, they will remain in our church. If the young people are made to feel part of the church, they will never go anywhere. And so the emptiness in our church, I don't think is because God cannot give anymore, but I would believe that leaders should begin to seek God. What is the will of God for our people? What is the will of God in every situation? When leaders begin to seek God and God begins to turn up in a meeting. God begins to perform miracles in a meeting. When, when, when we begin to see, for, for example, in Africa, we can pray and God can do things. I, have, I went to a place and, of course, when I go to a place, there is no big enough church to fill my people. So we are outdoors. So we went to this place and as we started the service, a huge rain cloud gathered and was coming. And I said, Lord, will you stop that rain? so that people can listen to your word. And the Lord stopped the rain. It did not come. We did our meeting, and he's he's my witness. This guy is my witness. We did the meeting. The rain did not come. What do you think that does to people's faith? It means that God who hears people's prayer is a God who is among them. And then when I challenge them to a commitment, they come. And I've seen that happen most of the time. I was in one part of my diocese one time, not one time, for 10 years. There is another part of my diocese where it rains every time. As soon as I step in that that part of the diocese, even if it was raining like today, it will stop for a week, because I normally spend a week. For a week, it will not rain for 10 years. When I'm done, the rain comes back. Now, that is a God who has created the weather, and can manage the weather, and then he can speak to people. Now, if it was in a big cathedral where the things are not happening, I think something else would have happened. There are certain times when the, our power in Kampala is very erratic. Sometimes we have to ask God to maintain the electric flow, even in our, in our bulbs, and he does it. So now, if our church is not going to be the kind of church that will allow God to be God, people are empty public health. You know, for me, and for many of us, we use the pulpit to preach health. And uh, I did a lot of my public health, not only in HIV AIDS, but also in waterborne diseases, in hygiene, in nutrition. I use the Bible. I use the pulpit. I teach my people that cleanliness is next to godliness. Now I'm teaching health there. I help them to understand that in the days of Israelites' journey from Egypt to the promised land, they were commanded to have a little hole that when they're going to ease, go outside the camp and dig a hole and ease there. I teach my people how important it is to deposit your refuge somewhere where you can be safe from infection. And they learn about it, and when they hear it from the pulpit, they think that is a spiritual message. They understand it. But at the same time, some of the issues of HIV are very overwhelming. Many, many people are suffering and dying. We almost have about two million infect, infected people in my country. Hence, the loads of orphans that we have. Many, many systems in the villages have been overwhelmed now. Because you get to a village and mom and dad of every home is dead, it's only children there. Now that can be tough. It can be tough. The reality is there. We are trying to stand and help people to not be avenues of spreading this virus. We still preach that also. But also at the same time, we care for those who are infected. There is no stigma now for the HIV AIDS victims. We love them, we care for them, and when they go, we bury them. That's our point of view. That's what we are doing. Yes, sir. The chaplain would like to chip in.
3: Uh, I I think the success story, also, in addition to uh, what His Grace has said for HIV/AIDS in Uganda, uh, was um, something the government called the strategy, the government called the ABC: A for Abstinence. Um, B for being faithful, um, and then C. The government calls it the condom. Now that is that is the the government approach, but of course as a church we cannot preach the use of the condom, uh, as that would have its own implications. So, the church preaches Christ for. For somebody to abstain, for somebody to be faithful, they need Christ. Um, Because the condom is not a solution. Uh, You see, the condom may protect the body, but sex takes the whole person who is the soul, the mind, the soul, the spirit, and the body. And so there is no condom for the soul. There is no condom. For the emotions, we minister to people who are emotionally hurt, even when maybe they use the condom. So uh, we, we preach Christ. The moment someone knows Christ, uh, they will be able to overcome the temptations of, of immolarity. And this has helped. Well, the government thinks they can take the credit, but I know that the Lord has used the church to combat AIDS in Uganda. and. Um, I think in 1986, uh, the rate, the prevalence rate was 36%. And now it has come down this year to 6%. And we really praise God for that.
2: Somebody here?
1: Your grace, there's a widespread movement among Americans,
2: I think, to go to Africa, um, to get up and get out of here.
1: And in the context of what you've been saying about our church being asleep, what is your advice to young people such as ourselves with loose feet and who want to get out and do something adventurous um, when there's a church here that is asleep? And what's a proper perspective for someone looking towards missions, especially in Africa?
2: That's a very tough question. Um, let, me, let me start like this. When the missionaries came to my part of Africa, they did not want to come back to their own homeland. And they did what I think was a big disservice to us. They could not raise leaders. Who are national? In my part of Uganda, the church was planted in 1927. I was the first person to get a theological degree in 1983. From 1927, the first person to get a the theological degree was in 1983, and it was a great disservice. And I would feel it is sad. In England, some people. Attribute the weakness of the church in England because of the influx of good, capable people who went for mission. So they left behind people who could not hold things together. Whether that is true or not, I don't know. But let me put it this way. I would believe very strongly that there is a role where somebody from America can go to Africa and be a missionary but not everybody should go. I also want to suggest that mission work which takes you for five, 10, 20 years is not going to be in everything. There are going to be areas where you can be in Africa, train people and leave them to do the work. That will be very, very healthy. My suggestion would be this. Why can't we build partnership between Africa and American churches so that you come to us, do ministry among us, we come to you, work with you here, so that you have this traffic going forwards and backwards now that the planes can fly within 20 hours and you are anywhere in the world? Maybe that's what God wants now. There is so much that Africa can give America. There is so much that America can give Africa. And maybe the traffic which is frequent may call for short-term missions, both sides of the oceans. I believe that would be very, very good. Incidentally, I'm here to help the Anglicans, Orthodox, who are trying to remain faithful but would like to come under our supervision, our oversight. But I'm trying to help them, and I'm saying to them, Uganda cannot create jurisdiction in America. That's out. I have too much work in my country and I just cannot come here every now and again to come and do ministry. I'm asking them to stand, to organize themselves. Now they're saying to us, we can't listen to one another, we are very individualistic. I said yes, but this is a church. You must learn to listen to one another and work together. So that you are partners with us, partnership here with us in Africa. You come, to you, you go to us. And they're going to be meeting next month to try to work on that. And, and we are saying to them, they invited me to go for that meeting. I said, no, that's a domestic issue. Sort yourself out, get yourself together, stand as a body. We will stand shoulder to shoulder with you. And so I believe there is a reason why God is raising some of you, probably to stand up here so that we can come and stand with you. And if you can come, come. Work with us for some time. And then we can come to you. Work with you. Let's, let's do cross-pollination. <laughs> can we make that the last question, sir? Four minutes to nine, so final question.
1: Your Grace, you have
0: mentioned uh, a number of times as you have been talking here the issue of hearing God in your life, that you take direction from the Lord, which leads to the presumption that you are, which I believe, you are hearing his voice when you're praying. Would you talk about that a little bit? Because it seems to me that that's an issue that is really central and very missing in much of the church in this country.
2: Can I stand up to answer that? Quick study of John chapter 10 will tell you about the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who knows his own, and they know him, and they hear him. They hear him. You may want to ask me, how do you hear the Lord? I believe the first great thing that God has taught me, and I'm sure some of you have learned the same, is submission. I can make my plans and I will put it before God and I say here is a plan Lord I am not going to press my way in this plan guide me I should have been here maybe two three years ago it did not work I was not frustrated because I knew that at the right time the Lord will bring me here and he brought me here I chair a lot of meetings and sometimes I have a lot of difficulties to understand how people think in my in my country. I sit there. I say, Lord, you know the hearts of people. I'm sitting and chairing this meeting. I want you to give me insight into how people think and how I can get on in my meeting. Our people talk a lot in meetings. You know, sometimes you can sit for eight hours doing meetings. I don't believe that is even the time we are we are meant to. So my meetings may not take long at all. If we can't finish a thing, I say, we stop here, we start again. But also, I was here last year, and I went to Montgomery. I've told people this story before. I met with a vestry of that church the following day, and I spoke to them about leadership. They asked me to pray for them. I started praying for them. There were 12 people. And God began to give me insight into individual needs of all these members of the vestry. I just was praying. I even didn't know anything that I was praying. But as the Lord gives me the insight, I would pray on each one of them. After I had finished and I was going away, the pastor told me, he said, Do you realize every person you prayed for, it is exactly their need? I said God knows them. I was only going with the word of knowledge here in the, in the Bible. God gave me knowledge, God gave me discernment, and I offered myself to be a voice to those people. It's amazing that God can actually use people to communicate his, his message because you have the Spirit of God in you, and God can enable leaders to lead through the anointing of the spirit of God and we take no credit when I minister this guy here always will watch and he will tell me your grace the things you are speaking I don't think those things came from you I'll tell them no I got inspiration as I was speaking now there's the Holy Spirit at work and praise the Lord we are at the temple and he has chosen to dwell in us Zechariah 4, 6, say, not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And those of us who are in leadership, unless the Lord anoints you, it can be a, a very strong uphill journey. But God makes it possible for us to even do the impossible. Neil and I were talking about how we flew out here on Tuesday. Jacksonville weather was so bad, really bad. And Bill asked me to pray. And my prayer was simple. I said, Lord, open a corridor of safety for us. You know, when we saw that little plane, my heart just dropped. His heart dropped. It's a single engine plane, and this is a very ugly weather. It had been raining all the time. When we learned that we would come in a private plane, we were imagining a jet that would come there and we would just sweep through to Chattanooga in about one and a half hours. And then, so this little thing turned up. And at home, I used them because Mission Aviation Fellowship, some of you are familiar with Mission Aviation Fellowship, they fly this four-seater Cessna 260. And if it is up in the air, it's like a feather and it is kind of going all over the place. Now the weather was bad, and so Bill said, "Let's hurry up." We got in, and he—he is a fantastic pilot. But God heard our prayer. We didn't you sleep? (laughs) And then he told Neil that after, as soon as we took off, the weather closed behind us. I was on a little corridor like this, and we passed through. After fifty miles, the weather was perfect. Such, I believe, is how leaders in God's church can work collaboratively with God to bring forth his word. If you don't listen, what do you give? You either give the product of your mind or the product of the spirit of God, working alongside the word of God to bring life to the hearers.
0: just close
2: our time in prayer. Will I come up here? Please. Good man.
0: (laughs) Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for your grace to give us hearts that will submit to you. We want to submit every part of our lives to you, that we may serve you. And yet, Lord, we know our hearts are hard. We know we are prone to wander. And we need Jesus. We need someone who has lived the life you demand of us and who has died to put our sinful natures to death and who has been raised from the grave and who has victory over death. And we need the Spirit of Jesus to indwell us That we may walk righteously. That we may flee sin and temptation that we may be bold in evangelism, that we may give our lives for your service and for your glory. And so we thank you for the gospel. We pray for the powerful work of the gospel in our lives. We thank you for our dear brothers and their ministry among us. We thank you for their, their vital testimony of the power of the gospel to work in their lives to bring salvation and to bring power for ministry. We pray for that same power in our lives. Would you be so gracious as to pour out your Spirit in abundance among us, that we may live for you, that the world may see our good works, that they may hear our testimony of faith in Jesus and give praise and honor to you, because you alone can produce such work. May it be so in our lives for your glory. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. The proceeding was provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu.